Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we ask that uh, as we look at your word this morning, that your Holy Spirit would be working in each one of us, and that your word be, would be clear, and that uh, we would be accepting of, desirous of, hungry for the spiritual food that is there. And so, Father, we commit this time to what your will is for us, and you're working in us in, in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking at uh, the names of God most recently, and the compound names with uh, the word Jehovah, Lord. And today, this is one that uh, speaks so powerfully to the wonder of the gospel. And it's uh, Jehovah Sidkenu. Now I'll spell that for you because I don't know that any of us would ever just know how to spell that. We might smell, uh, spell the canoe part like a, uh, a normal canoe, but uh, it's T-S-I-D-K-E-N-U-E. I just love the way that sounds. <laughs> Sid canoe. And we don't normally have that T-S. We wouldn't do that, I don't believe, uh, in English. But this is coming across from the Hebrew. Jehovah Sidkenu. And it means the Lord our righteousness. Okay. So let's go to uh, where we find that in Scripture. Let's go to Jeremiah 33. Jeremiah 33, 16. In those days, and these, I believe these are looking to the days of the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. In those days, Judah shall be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell in safety. And this is the name by which she in other words, Jerusalem shall be called. How's this for a name for a city? Okay. And this is the name by which uh, she shall be called. The Lord is our righteousness or the Lord our righteousness. Um, I think if we we're going to bring this down to uh, the individual level, we would say, the Lord, my righteousness. That's where it ought to end up. Uh, that's the whole point of this. And the, one of the things I love about this is um, talk about the gospel in a nutshell. You know, just so there. And that wonderful, wonderful truth that, and we're going to pull that apart here for a bit, um, that God has, through Christ, actually given to us, imputed to us, in our standing before him, his own righteousness. 
staggering. He says, you shall be holy as I am holy. We could never do that. We wouldn't if we couldn't. We couldn't if we would. So, well, let me continue down here. There's so much here. Jeremiah 33, 6. So it's looking to the future, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit is going to make it clear that this future is real for Israel, uh, for Judah specifically, but for Judah and Israel. Remember uh, under Rehoboam, remember that? He, he was Solomon's son, and he made a really stupid choice. And uh, the kingdom was severed from him so that there were two kingdoms uh, in what had formerly been Israel. So there was the southern kingdom called Judah and the northern kingdom called Israel. Okay, and God had nicknames for them also. But at any rate, so the Lord tells us, for thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man before me to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to prepare sacrifices continually. And the, Lord, and the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, thus says the Lord. Now listen carefully to this. And the Lord says, if you can break my covenant for the day and my covenant for the night so that day and night will not be at their appointed time, then my covenant may also be broken with David, my servant. So suppose we all try to do that. Suppose we get the whole world to try to do that. Is there going to be a day and night? Yes, there's going to be day and night. And the Lord says, well, if you can't mess with that, then you can't mess with my, uh, with my covenant. Okay. Then my covenant may also be broken with David, my servant, that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. We know that that son uh, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And with the Levitical priests, my ministers, which is an interesting thing to think about. Then he says this, as the host of heaven cannot be counted and the sand of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the descendants, notice descendants, of David my servant and the Levites who minister to me. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, And I think this is really interesting. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Have you not observed what this people have spoken? Saying, so there's things being said out among the public of the Jews. Have you not observed what this people have spoken? Saying, the two families which the Lord chose, we just explained that, Israel and Judah, Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. The two families which the Lord chose, he has rejected them. 
I think it's so interesting what's being said today. The two families that the Lord, you know, by many people who are Christians, God's done with Israel. Well, God's saying, no, I'm not, okay? All right. The two families which the Lord chose, he has rejected them. Thus, they despise my people. No longer are they as a nation in their sight. Thus says the Lord. Now he says something else. If my covenant for day and night stand not, and the fixed patterns of heaven and earth I have not established, who established them? Who calls all the stars by name and leads them forth uh, by their hosts? Uh, the Lord says, if it's not me that did that, and I think it's so interesting, what does Satan say? It's not him that did that. It was a, there was a big bang, and everything came out of nothing. Denial of, okay. So, let me read that again. Thus says the Lord, if my covenant for day and night and stand not, and the fixed patterns of heaven and earth, I have not established. Then I would reject the descendants of Jacob and David, my servant, not taking from his descendants rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But I will restore their fortunes and will have mercy on them. In other words, there's going to be a people and there's going to be a time coming when God is totally involved in the nation of Israel again, okay, and they're going to call Jerusalem what? The Lord my righteousness, okay? The Lord our righteousness, okay. Well, then let's go, uh, as we try to develop this, let's go to Isaiah, Another great passage, Isaiah chapter 6. We have the testimony of uh, Isaiah here. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. So Isaiah says this. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him. These powerful, powerful angels. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Now I want you to see, notice what Isaiah says. Now Isaiah's a prophet of the Lord, okay? We would think, you know, godly man. Then I said, what did he say when he came up against the holiness of God in this? It was probably a vision. You can't, you can't be in the presence of the holiness of God 
and, and not recognize that's not me. There I am so, I'm a wicked person. So here's this prophet of the Lord. He says this. Then I said, woe is me, for I'm ruined. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. I want to stop there. So what about this? What about this, this tremendous gulf between a holy God and sinful men? Job asks this, the right question. Go to Job chapter 9. And in Job chapter 9, we're going to come to verse 1. And he's, I think it was Bildad uh, that had just spoken. And so then Job answered. There was some th- things that were true in what Bildad said. And so he said, in truth, I know uh, this is so. But then he asked this great question. But how can a man be in the right before God? That's the question. For every person, how can I be in the right before God? And really there's two basic answers. One's false, one's true. And either it's the Lord's my righteousness, okay, or I'm going to produce a righteousness that this holy God will accept. That's the world's religions. You ever thought that through? That's what they're saying. Look, you look simply at the gospel. What's the gospel? That God brings to us a salvation that we accept as a gift. And we accept it by faith. The other way is, I come before God and I say, here's my good works. What do you think? <laughs> well, scripture is so clear about this. And, and yet, this is the viewpoint of the whole world. Do you understand? I mean, Satan's got a religion for everybody. You know, he's got a religion for people that are wild and out there sinning in every way they can. He's got some people. He's got a religion for the self-righteous people. He's got a religion for the Pharisees who say, I tithe, I do this, I do that, I do that. I'm not like that guy over there. So, let's go to the answer to that question. How can a man be right before God? And uh, we're going to go to Romans chapter 1. Maybe I should just read it first. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Very familiar verse. 
and we're going to follow with verse 17. So Paul says this. He's writing to the church at Rome, and he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and rose again the third day, uh, and through faith in him we can uh, be forgiven, have eternal life, and receive his righteousness. But for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God uh, for salvation. And do you keep that in mind? What I mean by that is if you have an opportunity to share the gospel, do you recognize, do I recognize that the power is in the gospel? So often we... I could have done that so much more powerfully if I'd have just said, do you know what I mean? And yet the word of God says, the power is in the gospel. It's the message. Get the message across. You see? And, and, and you know what I love about that? That means any of us can share the gospel. Any of us. In fact, it's my own personal opinion. God delights in people that aren't that great a communicator in having him share the God. What did he do with Moses? Remember, Moses had a speech problem, an impediment of some kind. And, and, and as soon as God said, you're going to be my spokesman, he said, I, don't, I, can't, I can't speak. He says, and, and not only that, since you've been talking to me right now, you, you didn't take care of this. You didn't heal me, you know. I still have the impediment. And God said, go. I'll be with your mouth. And I, 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 there's something to me that just, uh, if, if, if Moses was a stutterer, we don't know for sure, but if he was a stutterer, for him to stutter out the message of God to Pharaoh, there's something about that that's just beautiful. Because what does it say? You better pay attention to the content and not to the speaker because it comes from God. Okay, it's truth. And so he says, tomorrow there's going to be gnats everywhere. <laughs> you better pay attention. There's going to be gnats tomorrow. You get to, okay. So then, so Paul says in verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the, uh, to the Greek. Now here's this great phrase, verse 17. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. You know, I looked up uh, the word there uh, for revealed. It says to uncover God uncovered his righteousness in the gospel, okay? For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed or uncovered from faith to faith. In other words, how do you start as a, uh, as a new believer? What did you do? You put your faith in God's word and in the gospel, and by doing that, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your trust is him. He's the one that died on the cross for our sins. Okay, so for in it the righteousness of God is revealed 
from faith, your starting point is what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And what's, what's your follow-up? Faith, 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 faith. Well, how, do you, how, are you gonna, how should you deal with Monday morning? By faith. Okay. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow morning? I don't know. And, but how, how do you walk with the Lord? You walk by faith. From faith, that's your starting point, uh, to faith. And then this. As it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. I see that two ways. By putting your faith in Jesus Christ, you get to live. You get eternal life. You're made alive. But then, how do you live? You live by that faith. You're, you, you walk day by day with him. You recognize every event in your life, every circumstance, every person is under the sovereignty of God to bring his will into your life. That's a huge thing, by the way. You know, uh, okay. So, Paul reveals or takes off the cover of God's righteousness. And then, in starting in Romans chapter 3, he starts to explain it. He explains how God has accomplished this uh, the Lord our righteousness. Uh, let's go, first of all, we'll look at the need. Uh, there are many passages we could go to this for, uh, go to for this. Uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. So this presents our need. Like uh, Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a sinner, okay? I live among a people that are sinners. Okay, here we go. Verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. How's, how about that for the end of the argument? So here I come and I say, well, but I'm going to join this religion and I'm going to be righteous. Well, you know, one of my, I, I've got this major problem. Uh, first of all, I can't be righteous on my own anyway, but I still have all my history of what? Unrighteousness. Yeah, I can't go back and fix that. Okay. There's none righteous. And I, I, I kind of chuckle because uh, as it is written, there's none righteous, not even one. Uh, you know, why did God put that there? I think because if there was one, we'd think, well, it must be me. You know? And so it, the Lord said, there's, there's no one out there who is righteous. Okay. goes beyond that. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. You know, sometimes a person will be giving a testimony and they'll say, well, when I was uh, 18 years old, I started to seek for God. I said, well, that may be true, but guess who brought you to seek God? God brought you to an awareness of your need and, uh, and so forth. Okay. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. Here we go. 
There is none who does good. There is not even one. God's very, very clear. So the entire human race is in need uh, of help. Okay. Because we are helpless, as we will see. So let's go to the same chapter. Let's drop down to verse 19. Very familiar passage. So, first thing Paul's going to deal with here is the law. Okay. And, and the important question is, why, why did God give the law? It's going to be clear that the law can't save anybody. So why in the world did God give it in the first place? Well, we're going to see. It goes on, it says, Now we know, verse 19, that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. And we know from other passages in Scripture that it's specifically the Jews who are under the law. God gave the law through Moses. He didn't give that law to uh, let's say the Philistines and so forth. They had a law of conscience, but they didn't get the Ten Commandments and all the, uh, and all the rest of the law. Now, we know that whatever the law speaks, it speaks to those who are under the law, but here's the result, that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God, okay? So the whole idea here is... Israel was the test case. And how did they do with the law? (laughs) Horribly. And so I should be able to look at Israel and say, yep, their failure, I would have failed just like, you know, you can do the same thing with Adam. You know, you say, well, well, why did Adam have to sin? Well, put yourself there. How would you have done? How long before you had eaten of that tree when your wife came and said, this is really good, (laughs) You know, okay. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because, here we go, because by the works of the law, that Pharisee saying, I keep the law, because by the works of the law, no flesh, not anybody, will be justified in his sight. So then I asked that question earlier. Well, why the law then? For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. If God hadn't given the law, how would we know where we had violated it? How would we know when we missed his standards? You know, and so the the law, specifically, most pointedly in the Ten Commandments, lays it out, you know, uh, so that we can know um, what our sin is. Okay, but here we go. Verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been laid out for us. Been made available to us. Has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. It's consistent with what the prophet said and what the law said. And then it says this, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, is that clear? (laughs) 
even the righteousness of God, the Lord our righteousness, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ for all those who believe, for there's no distinction. I love that. You know, does it somebody might be better than you, somebody might be worse than you, somebody might, you know, does it, there's no distinction. I'm, uh, yeah, but I'm not the right race. Yes, you are. <laughs> you know, I'm not this, I'm not that. Uh, there's no distinction. God has no uh, distinction for his ability and his desire to give this righteousness. Okay, again, reiterating the need for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, being justified or pronounced righteous because he's made us righteous and given us his righteousness. Being justified as a gift, as a what? Paul's going to deal with that in chapter 4. Being justified as a gift by his grace, God's favor to those who don't deserve it. Through the redemption, we have a whole bunch of teaching in the Old Testament about, uh, about redemption. Uh, we were bought out of the slave market of sin by the blood of Jesus Christ uh, shed on our behalf on the cross. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And it says this, whom God displayed publicly on the cross as a propitiation or a satisfaction. God had to be, uh, God's holiness had to be satisfied. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says this, this was to demonstrate his righteousness You understand that if God were to accept a religion, a religious person's righteousness, it would mean he was not righteous because that person's righteousness never measures up, doesn't even come close. He says, all your righteousnesses are as filthy rags, disgusting rags. That's your best that you can bring to him. And that's what he says in his word. Okay. So uh, he has to not only uh, bring this righteousness to us, but he has to do it in such a way that he remains holy, that he remains righteous and just. So it goes on and says, um, this was to demonstrate his righteousness There was a problem because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. That's talking about all the Old Testament times where God blessed his people. I, I, I absolutely believe that Satan said, how can you call David a man after your own heart when... There's been no payment for sin. Jesus Christ hasn't gone to the cross yet. Okay, it's a huge thing. And so it's talking about that. It says, uh, 
and, and look at any of them. Uh, they're all of sin. Uh, for a, the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, that he might be just, he has to remain holy and just, and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is, in, uh, it is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. Now here we go. For we maintain, we believers, Paul himself, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith, believing what God says, apart from the works of the law. Whoa. You know, just the other day I heard a comment about somebody that they believed that before they could trust Christ, they had to reach a certain point of righteousness in their own life, and then they would be ready, maybe then that righteousness they had would be sufficient. What are you saying? You're saying, no, you're saying, I'm going to bring something to add. I remember years ago having a a rather, uh, in ways, fierce argument with uh, a pastor. And he said, well, you're saved by works. It just shocked me. I said, what percent? (laughs) And he said, oh, probably 90%. Christ and 10% your works. Now I understand what James says, you know, that after you're saved, you're going to, by the, by the power of God and by the Holy Spirit, you're going to do good works. But that's not a part of saving you, okay? It's only by Christ, 100%. And it wasn't long before that man was out of the ministry and done and gone and and really, I have to say I'm glad, you know, because it was a false, a false gospel. Um, okay. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works, apart from the works of the law. Okay, now I want to go uh, from there to uh, chapter 4 where now Paul is going to explain how God has clearly included the Gentiles, or us, for the most part, in this salvation. So we're going to go to Romans chapter 4 and verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, uh, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God, because God's holy and Abraham's a sinner. For what does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God, now get this, and it was reckoned to him or credited to him or imputed to him, it's an accounting term, and it was credited or reckoned to him as righteousness. So that uh, Abraham could then say, what? The Lord my righteousness. Okay. All right. 
Now here's a, this is a great verse. Now to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but as what is due. What does that mean? You know, do you, so uh, you put in a good forty-hour uh, week, and you come to get your paycheck, and the boss says, "You know what I'm going to do for you this week? I'm going to pay you for the work you did. Like he's going to do something spe- that it's going to be a gift. It's not a gift. And what this verse says: you work for it." It's due you, you know. He owes it to you. In fact, uh, the scripture says, don't hold back for the person in charge. Don't hold back that money that belongs to the people that uh, harvested your field, you know. Okay, now to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but as what is due. Now that's powerful because this, if we take this little, uh, just Think about this. This means that the person who is trusting in his own works is now going to stand before God and say what? You owe me. I did the work. You got to pay me. That's, that puts it in quite a light, doesn't it? Saying to Almighty God, but that's what religion is saying. I piled up the works, I bring my works to God, and he owes me, he, he's got to save me now because I gave him all these works. Wow. Notice verse 5. But to the one who does not work, the one who does not work for his salvation, but believes in him, It's by faith. But believes in him who justifies the ungodly, who takes his righteousness and gives it to us. Okay? And then pronounces us justified. But believes in him who justifies... What what a grand verse. Who justifies the who? The ungodly. And Scripture's already spent a whole bunch of time proving I'm the ungodly. I need this salvation. I need this gift that only he can give and that Jesus Christ died on the cross to bring to me. And then it says, him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned or imputed as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. And then a quote from David, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Then this great passage. Is this blessing then upon the circumcised, just the Jewish people? Or upon the uncircumcised also, the Gentiles? For we say, faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. He's the pattern. How then was it reckoned? While he was circumcised, or runs talk about God's sovereign control and timing. Okay? 
How then was it reckoned? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. So we might be able to say this. Before Abraham was a Jew, <laughs> he was circumcised. And then God, notice what it says, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while uncircumcised. You see what it says? So, Once he had received the righteousness because he believed God's promise concerning him, God said, you need to be circumcised, you and all your family. But first came what? The righteousness by faith. And so notice how God says he uses that. That he might be the father of all all who believe without being circumcised that righteousness might be reckoned to them that's me okay as a gentile and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision but also follow in the steps of the faith of our father abraham which he had while uncircumcised okay Beautiful, just the way the Lord weaves all this together and perfectly uh, uh, so that we can know these things. And I, I was just thinking about how important it is that we have these things firmly in our grasp. <laughs> the way I say it, it needs to be deeper than it is, you know, uh, because... If I remember reading a um, one of the great, and I don't remember his name, but one of the great theologians, and he's on his deathbed, and he says, "All my theology is written, all kinds of things. All my theology comes down to Christ Jesus died for sinners, of whom I am foremost." And you got to realize that. What we're doing now to grapple with and grab these things and think about them and meditate on them and be in the word is an enhancement for the time when we're losing the thread. You know, I always think of my, it's a funny story, but, but I just love it. My dad, godly man, in the word every day, just almost a fanatic. Hell, <laughs> <Yeah>, he was. <laughs> and uh, so now he's, he's uh, you know, his kidneys are failing and he's, he's in a, a kind of like a partial coma and he doesn't know where he is or what he's doing. And, and this, uh, the nurse comes to, uh, you know, work on him. And, and she walks into the room and he goes, oh, Lord. <laughs> and he starts to pray in a coma. And this nurse immediately stops, puts her head down, <laughs> and my mom is standing there, and says she was going to, you know, brush his teeth and do all this stuff. And my mom said, better do what you're going to do, because he'll do this for an hour. I love that. 
I love that's what I want. That's what I want. I want this stuff to be so permeate me that it comes out when I'm losing the thread, you know, and, and, and not something else come out. You know what I mean? Uh, okay. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ being the Lord, our righteousness. What a grand thing that you see us as possessing the very righteousness of yourself, the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. What a tremendous gift. May we revel in it and thank you for it, worship you for it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.